0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. Sean, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. I, uh enjoyed watching game one of the NBA finals. I did not enjoy Dario tearing an ACL, but aside from the tangential Sixers curse that touches any and all players who have ever worn a Sixers uniform, uh, it was a very entertaining game one and uh, looking forward to three or more of those to come. And uh, then we got Olympic basketball right around the corner. So it's a fun and the, uh, the NBA draft, of course, which we're going to talk about a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it was. It's always sad to see Dario go down that short into like something that has to be so
1: exciting for him to make the NBA Finals. I mean, Suns up one nothing. He still gets a ring if they win it. And uh, it like in terms of other Sixers connections in the finals, I mean, oh boy, Drew. Like Drew Holiday has struggled a lot in the playoffs. He's had some really good moments still where he can create and get to the rim. I swear when he goes to that spin move, he almost always scores. But like his decision making is. Real has been really poor at times. I think Nikaias Duncan of basketball enthusiasm describes it as he looks like he's in an and one mixtape sometimes or like trying stuff out, like random pull-up threes or like trying to beat every single guy off the dribble when he just doesn't need to on each possession. And that's kind of rough to watch because it's been a long time since Drew was a sixer, but still wishing good things for him.
2: Yeah, rough, rough shooting night for him in game one for sure. He's yeah, and as you alluded to, his his decision-making all playoffs has been really curious. Just a lot of weird ISO shots that didn't really seem called for. Um, so we'll see if he can turn it around. He still had some good moments. Like, the nine assists were, were nice in game one, and he's obviously a big part of their team, and they're going to need him to to step up if they're going to um, take down what looks to be a really good Sun squad.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, watching the Suns, like uh... – have you seen that meme before? That's like, a, that's not fair. It should be me. Like, that's how I feel sometimes watching the Suns have, like, Booker and Chris Paul hitting all those off-the-dribble shots. They're just so tough to guard. Like, their offense can just flow into so many things. And also, I feel that way, obviously, watching Mikael Bridges, like, just thrive so often, even <laughs> if he hasn't been, like, their star during this run just – man, he's uh, – there was a story in The Athletic talking about that whole trade when it went down and how, like, Almost all like draft day trades are like predetermined before the draft what teams are going to do. Then the McHale Bridges trade was very much not that. It was very much in the moment. The Suns just wanting McHale and convincing like Colangelo and his in the front office that well not
2: not Colangelo. Oh yeah yeah. Fam- my bad. Famously not Colangelo. It was the yeah. uh, Brett Brown collaboration hive.
1: Yeah. Sorry, that was my <laughs> bad. But, um, they they basically convincing whoever was making the decisions for the Sixers at that point in time, that the extra first round pick was enough to take Mikhail because they apparently thought Mikhail and Zaire were like similar in terms of like where they ranked them. They just had Mikhail a tiny bit ahead and thought it was worth it. And uh, of course, Zaire never got probably the shot he deserved in the NBA due to circumstances out of his control. But, you know, I would like Mikhail Bridges right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sure would. Yeah, he's, he's turned out to be a perfect glue guy. Uh, still. Somewhat young, um, even though he was a a guy who played a couple years of college. Um, but yeah, he's exactly what that Phoenix team needs because they have, you know, the two elite shot creator distributors in Paul and Booker. They have the role guy, and they just in a uh, in Aiton who's been playing tremendously well. Um, so they just need guys who can play great defense and uh, hit hit shots after they're open on driving kicks and. He he's doing that that job to perfection um yeah it's that that draft is obviously something that Sixers fans think about a lot and I think uh Kevin Kincaid of Crossing Broad had a really good article the other day about how you know we all kind of focus on Bridges because for 20 minutes he yeah. was a Sixer but also after that 10 pick you had uh SGA and Michael Border Jr go and then even after they make the trade If you don't take Zaire, there's still DiVincenzo and Kevin Herter, Um, just a lot of really good players went around that range and the Sixers picked at 10 and then picked at 16 and traded away a really helpful guy at 10 and then took one of the few non helpful guys at 16 so just not a great (laughs) turn of events for the Sixers in that draft. The
1: 2018 draft is like just insanely, it looks like it's gonna be just one of those all-time years when you look back on it because DeAndre in one, I mean he's three wins away from being probably the third best player on a finals team, his third year in the league. Uh, Luka Doncic at three, Jaron Jackson Jr. at four who before the injury was playing really well and I still think he's gonna be very good long term. We know how good Trae Young is, he went five, Uh, even a guy who's not like, Universally beloved, like Colin Sexton at eight, still useful. McHale at ten. Shea gildas Alexander at eleven. Michael Porter Jr. at fourteen. Dante DiVincenzo at seventeen. Lonnie Walker eighteen. Kevin Herter nineteen. Even guys, Grayson Allen twenty-one. He's had some usefulness so far in the league. uh Landry Shamit at twenty-six to the Sixers. Rob Rob Williams, the Time Lord, at twenty-seven. Like Jalen Br- Jalen Brunson at thirty-three. Like you can just Devonte Graham thirty-four. Like the more I scroll down, like Gary Trent Jr. the these guys are all like, you know, have rules in the league. D'Anthony De- Melton has been a very good player for the Grizzlies all the way down at 46. It's just, and then you get Shake at 54, just all these guys like. Saving really- the best <laughs> for last, Shake Milton, <laughs> Yeah. And, I mean, talk about nailing a draft. Like the Suns got probably the third and fourth best player on their team in Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton from one draft. Like that's kind of insane.
2: Yeah. They, <laughs> whereas Sixers fans are looking back ruefully at that draft the sons are if you know they end up winning this title they can look back at that as like the the turning point for their franchise yeah. um because without those couple pieces then chris paul probably doesn't sign with them and then it's just more years of devin booker getting unfairly uh good stat bad team narratives written about him even though he's a he's a great player but just not continuing to not have the pieces around him to help him uh that that could have been phoenix's fate if not for that that draft Mm -hmm. and like
1: for the sixers basically what you get out of it because zaire as much as we love him just didn't really give you anything and the pick and landry shamba you got basically along with other assets turned into tobias harris so you know i mean we love toby i think they probably could have instead of that pick used something else to kind of like land toby if just imagining the team of Toby McHale, so just like a starting lineup of Toby McHale, Ben Embiid, and, and then maybe you even go you just go Danny Green there, or you could go Seth, but like because you could like then like how good is a defensive lineup of Ben, Danny Green, Mikhail Bridges, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid?
2: I mean that'd be tremendous. Um, I think you you brought this up in a previous pod, and I I, I said I wasn't emotionally ready to talk about a Bridges. A hypothetical scenario on the Sixers. Um, yeah, I mean, that would be great. It, it'd it still be frustrating to see Ben Simmons pass up a wide open dunk and to a confused Mikael Bridges but, under the basket. No, no. See,
1: this is the difference is Mikael would make both free throws instead of just one. As much as we uh, love the keys, Mikael would make both of them and it'd be okay.
2: Okay. So see? not only would he be an upgrade roster wise, but he would save Ben Simmons's Sixers career by making both free throws. Oh, man. It's
1: really. It's really
2: whiffed. <laughs> I,
1: think we, I think we recorded around forty epi- oh, We have something in the forties of like episodes of this podcast together. At some point, like someday, I will go back through and like listen to like all of them. It'll be like the like a week long project, and I will track how many times we've mentioned Mikhail Bridges in a pod. It, like it has to be at least twenty,
2: right? Yeah, I, I feel like every other pod, at least, is it's probably a good estimate, so. It, it was
1: a lot at the beginning when, like, we were starting right during, like, um well, we started during the pandemic right before, like, the league got started up in the bubble again, and that's when, I mean, the Sixers, like, in the bubble were frustrating, obviously, and, like, we, and then they got killed in the playoffs, so we were kind of just, like, built unleashing pent-up frustration, so we were mentioning Mikhail a lot, because also that was when, you know, the bubble Suns were A and O, so everyone was talking about them and we can just keep going through that It's like, I, I just like it depends on our moods like when the Sixers were doing really well we definitely didn't mention it as much whenever they've been doing bad it's like just comes in your mind like man be great to have to kill bridges right now.
2: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah when when things are rolling and uh, we didn't have to play the what if game as much, but now that sixer season is over and we have nothing to do for a couple months except hypothetical scenarios really then uh yeah Bridges comes back to the bubbling to the surface of our collective minds for sure maybe the only one who feels worse about this draft is probably the Kings for taking
1: Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic at three like that's probably the only one who like has more pent up frustration, or maybe some clip, I mean, cause the Clippers get SGA, which they then leverage with Gallo to trade for Paul George, but the Clippers also took Jerome Robinson at 13 over Michael Porter Jr. at 14. And like Marvin Bagley's not, hasn't been that good, but he's still like definitely an NBA player. Jerome Robinson's bouncing around the league is probably gonna be out of the league at this rate, which I would hate to say, you know, you hate to say like this guy, like a young guys, doesn't, hasn't shown much, but it's just like, he's been pretty rough whenever he's
2: played. So that's definitely a miss. Yeah, that, that that's an all-time head scratcher from Vladi, because they they had Luca's coach, his national team coach.
1: Well, I thought that was the Suns had it. Had oh, oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. And no. like if the comparison for DeAndre Aiden is like, yeah, like Luca's better than Aiden. It's probably Trey on this too, but everyone goes to like you think back to the Hakeem Jordan 1984 draft, where it's obviously a big stretch to say either of those guys are either of those levels yet. But it's like, yeah, DeAndre Ayton's not Luca. He's still really good. Like he is. You can't be like, that upset that you have DeAndre Ayton.
2: Oh no, yeah, for sure. Um, that, like, Chris Paul signing there has kind of squashed any of the they should have taken Luca, Luca over Ayton stuff for for Phoenix. Because I, I don't uh, know if
1: it's like I don't. I think it still would have been the right decision to take Luca. But I think like you can obviously live with it. Like there's no regret in their minds.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, especially if they win a title, then yeah, everything everything gets closed over. But but just the fact that Paul signed there, it's like, well, like Paul's not signing there and you're not signing a big man in free agency of the caliber of a Chris Paul. So it's either like you had Paul, Booker, mm-hmm. and Aiden or you had just Luca and Booker. So is it is Luca enough to over like value wise over versus Paul and Aiton, like probably not. So that's that's kind of like equation people can make in their minds in in hindsight. um Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I confused those. But yeah, Vladi was also head scratcher because they were like, oh, he's the he's the Euro guy. He loves Euros, and Luca's like the best Euro prospect in a ever. long time. And they yeah, still it pass. Was,
1: Luca was the best like Euro prospect like ever. <laughs> it was pretty cl- pretty clear. Like, ever, what was it? I I can't remember the exact things, but he's basically like. The best player in the hero league by the time he was 18 which if you can be if you're that young and you're the best player in the second best basketball league in the world like that should tell you something that he's been a professional since he was like 14 he's been
2: dominating yeah it, <laughs> and he continues to dominate and he just dragged uh his slovenian squad to to an olympic qualifying yes berth, so so they'll we'll get to see more luca this summer uh which is always welcome um yeah so <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll forever be confused by L- Vladdy's decision making there um and uh yeah Sacramento is, is still looking to to return to the playoffs after all these years so maybe if Sacramento wants to return
1: to the playoffs they should trade Deere and Fox for Ben Simmons straight up in my in my unbiased opinion like I, I can only see upside from that for them like seems perfectly reasonable
2: for all parties involved
1: it seems like a very fair deal um Oh, I, I want to reference this so my younger sister she was telling me she like she like she was not into basketball really that much but um she was telling me that there's just like one TikTok meme where it's like it's this guy like crossing his hands and like proposing a trade that's obviously like unfair or something like that it's something like that, but basically it said proposed trade it's like you get Ben Simmons I get rid of Ben Simmons was the ideal and i don't know just referencing that me picturing it, it cracked me up a bit i don't know if that translated over a pod but i feel like i had to reference it because i brought up the ben simmons trade
2: idea all right yeah you went to tick tock so that's that's beyond my my I, understanding I've, I've only used it as like, an old
1: i've only used it sparingly
2: i do, I do not i'm not really a tick tock <laughs> um all right well enough enough yeah. kings 2018 talk yes uh, we are going to talk NBA draft for 2021 for the majority of this episode. Um, it's a, a now annual thing when the Sixers flame out in the playoffs, we, we turn or back in the day when they tank the regular season. Um, but we talk ourselves into how they can add some helpful pieces to make next season even better. Um, unfortunately, like past years the Sixers do not have a you know a lottery pick they don't have number 10 waiting in the wings for them or even higher like in some of the prime process years they have number 28 and number 50 so we're we're going to go into uh what the Sixers should do but b- b- before we do that um we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about the top of the draft and Daniel is there is there any reason Detroit shouldn't take Cade Cunningham and should they even be answering the phone when people call with offers to move up to number one? There's not really any good reason they shouldn't take Cade. Um, <laughs> he's, he's that special. Um,
1: just like, so I'll, I'll just start off right here. Cause I know you want to talk about some of these top guys, like admittedly, I've definitely like, watched these guys and like know some stuff about them. I follow a lot of people who are like full-time draft scouts and like dra- draft analysts and they're, so I like trust what they say. And, but you know, I've seen like, Cade is just an unbelievable prospect. I think about like six, eight and really strong. And then just, he's he's the idea of like, you can basically give him the ball. He is the heliocentric like creator of your offense. You can give him a million ball screens at top and he will run the offense and he'll be really good at it. And just when you get that type of guy, that guy who can be the, like, as we've seen, like Chris Paul and Devin Booker hitting all these shots out of pick and rolls and just dissecting defenses. He can be that, and also he's six eight, a really good defender from everything we've seen. And the biggest question about him coming into college was the shot, and he shot forty percent on one hundred fifty five three point attempts, with under half of those being assisted. So a lot of it was off the dribble. So he, like he started to work himself into ways to like being one of the best shooters in the draft because he can hit really difficult shots off the dribble, on a team at Oklahoma State, which like he did not have a lot of talent around him at least relative to like other big 12 teams or other power five teams at all. Like not very many, not a lot of good shooters. There was a lot of like double teams and like every time he drove into the paint, there were like four guys coming at him because they just did not trust any of his teammates to hit threes and he kicked out to them. And he still managed to have a really good season, got Oklahoma State a four seed in the tournament and won a tournament game before they lost to Oregon State in the second round in the game, which I, if I remember correctly, like they got behind by locks, Oregon State was playing that weird zone that was throwing everyone off. And he like hit some shots in to really get to almost get them back in it, but they lost in the end. But yeah, I, I can't think like the only reason people would say who wouldn't is because they drafted Killian Hayes last year and you're a little, you could be a little worried about both those guys are very much the idea of them is on ball, give them a lot of pick and rolls and they can run, run the show. Um, but like Killian, I think could slot in as more of a secondary guy and more importantly, like Kate is probably better as good as i as much as i do like killian it's just when you have this kind of archetype
2: available at the number one pick you don't pass up on him and and as we've learned uh you can never have too many ball handlers and you know i think phoenix is a very good example of if you have two guys who are elite mm. in in the pick and roll and you can just have them out top and and well, on also- matchups.
1: Well, also like phoenix but yeah like think about atlanta like you know what made the hawks so hard to guard us that well now it doesn't just trey young it's like yeah but then he also passes to kevin Herter or bogdan bogdan that you then can attack close out and hit a shot off the dribble like that's really hard to stop if you have that many guys who can do that
2: or, or the sixers who had like premium shot makers like shake milton and furcan corkmas now that's a <laughs> that's an area of upgrade that the sixers need to address for sure um all right so so we have detroit Taking Cade, no brainer. Um yeah. who, who do you got as as a second best prospect? And then I think everyone kind of views that as a top four or top five, and then there's a huge drop off. Um, do you do you kind of agree with that assessment as well?
1: Yeah, again, like I've I've since I spent more of my time looking at guys who would the Sixers could realistically get at like around twenty eight or like that lower range. I haven't spent as much time with these guys, but yeah, like I would say not everyone has the same top four, but the thing is these, the top four, like if anyone has someone slotting above any of these top four, they still have those four, like in the top six or so, if you know what I mean. Like these four, everyone agrees on are like at the top of the draft, which is Cade, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and Jalen Green. And I would say they're pretty distinctly the top four. Jonathan Kaminga, like he's definitely a, a little bit lower on some people's boards. And I, again, I haven't seen probably enough of him to say for sure, but I think like there's a lot of concerns with the shot at the moment and just some overall feel for the game and how well it can translate. Um, Evan Mobley is probably, probably the second best prospect in the draft by a good margin, just like like the, a really idealized version of a modern big man. Like I don't have his measurements right with me but Did I remember correctly? I think it's like he's basically seven feet tall, with a four wingspan and very mobile, especially on defense. Like, can switch onto guards pretty well and stay with them blocked a ton of shots just a monster at the rim he finished 113 of 144 attempts at the rim at usc which is 78.5 percent got to the foul line a ton um he, and he's like not a shooter at the moment but like he's definitely not like a shooting problem he only shot a 61.5 percent on free throws but 12 of 40 on threes which just like like occasional touches at it and like he shot a lot of like mid range twos and was like decent at it. I think on non rim twos, he was about 46% on pretty good volume. So just a guy who, he like, I think, I mean, the idea, the very much idealized version, like, even though you don't want to make player comps too much because they're every player is unique, there's not a lot of like one to one comparisons that like it's hard to not start thinking about Anthony Davis type stuff when he can, he's this special, like switching on to guys and he kind of seems like the perfect secondary guy in your offense because he's not really much of the primary creator more than he's like an awesome play finisher who can also create when necessary if that makes sense and just having a guy like that on your team that you can i mean it doesn't mean you probably still need to get the primary creator for your perimeter for the perimeter but just a guy who i think very clearly can you put him in a winning situation like that eventually like he's just going to be fantastic for that all
2: right so we'll see if houston goes with Mobley at two. Um him and uh, if I Christian. was if I was Houston, I
1: would take Mobley over Jalen Green. I know some people like Jalen Green. I have nothing against him, but it's just I think Mobley again, it's like at some point the dude's that special that you have to take in.
2: All right. Um we'll see if Houston agrees with your assessment on draft night. I think uh yeah, I think Christian Wood's a guy that has enough floor spacing ability as a big mm-hmm. that, that that could be a very workable pairing. It, it's not like they couldn't coexist and then you'd have to try to move wood for uh like 75 cents on the dollar in a trade or something so that we'll we'll see what happens um yeah you said you you focused a lot more on latter part of the draft because Sixers obviously don't pick until 28 so let's let's move on to the the Sixers and discussing the guys who could be available for them um before we get to more realistic options I wanted to ask you who would be the ideal like Tyrese Maxi guy like Somebody who was projected to go quite a few picks before the Sixers were slated the pick, and you just can't believe he fell to them, and you'd be wildly ecstatic, and our entire live Zoom draft would just be throwing our hands up in excitement if, if this guy fell to the Sixers at 28.
1: So I'm not sure if there's a specific Tyrese Maxi guy and that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, just literally being seven spots lower in the draft does make a difference. like it's just gonna harder for someone of that caliber to slide to there. Also, like last year where so Maxi, like at least among like probably the draft draft Twitter circles and like some some draft like boards was like pretty much a lottery guy who slid to twenty one. I don't think like after that top four, there's really any consensus on lottery guys like, like like if that makes sense, like it's very fluid, like after the start of the draft in terms of like where people rank these guys, not a ton of agreement. just a lot of them are like similar caliber who you're trying to decide, like, I think there are some guys, though, like, um, like Josh Giddy won't get to the Sixers, he's this like tall like playmaking wing who played in Australia this year and is I think is very well liked by a lot of people. Um uh Moses Moody probably won't get to the Sixers. Keon Johnson, no. I mean, I did said Kaminga's lower for some people, he won't get there. So it's like like off the top of my head, there's not like that lottery guy who definitely could slide because I'm not sure how many you could even qualify as sure thing lottery guys. Whereas Maxi was kind of like a very special scenario. It felt like where teams are just undervaluing how good he is. And we clearly we they but 6 we've benefited off of that. Um one guy I've seen mocked them a lot is Jared Butler out of Baylor, which if you remember, just like basically he has really crazy good handles. He can he's got like just balls on a string, can hit a lot of like hits guys with a lot of crosses. I mean, Baylor's whole strategy in the national championship was basically get Gonzaga's, like get Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy switched onto either. Uh, J, J, uh, Jared Butler, Maceo O'Teague, or um, Davion Mitchell, and then just go to work, which worked pr- out pretty well for them. So he was, he did like, he shot like 38.4% on threes over the last three years, but even, even better this past year. And he's, I, he's not like a super downhill guy, but he can definitely get to the rim if he gets someone to cross. And like a pretty good defender, because like most guys at Baylor are all like very smart positionally and like, all like pretty good like at keeping the ball in front of them i do remember i don't know this it's specifically in front of me right now but i do know that he's waiting to be con- cleared for some kind type of heart condition i think which is just really uncertain right now what's going on with that like just i think like there's a chance he might not be in the draft because they might say he, like might be uneligible to a health dra- health condition but he would
2: be an interesting guy at 28. yeah even uh college basketball casuals like myself have, are well acquainted with Butler. He was the, the final four most outstanding player. Um, so people that kind of check out on college until March Madness, they they still got to see a lot of him. And uh, he obviously performed exceptionally well on a uh, Baylor's title run. So yeah, he, to me, he looked like a guy that can create his own shot and everyone knows the Sixers need plenty more of that on, on their roster. So I think everyone would be pretty happy if Butler was a guy that fell to twenty eight.
0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at
1: bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Um So aside,
2: aside from Butler and, you know, getting out of the sliding to the Sixers question, like of guys who were routinely being mocked in the, in the late 20s, or even early 30s who who are a few realistic options who you think would really benefit the Sixers in that spot
1: well this guy this is probably my favorite prospect so far that I've scattered I'm I've written about him I will have a some have some other stuff coming out in him. I really like him a lot and the thing is I think on more mainstream draft boards he's down in the like the late 30s 40 range where it's like you look at some draft twitter stuff like he's in the teens and 20s which is Kessler Edwards out of Pepperdine he is a about to in a six eight forward who like over three seasons taking a ton of threes and shot around 39% on them over those three years and like he's not a static shooter He is very much like off of he can shoot off of movement, he is, as I say um, From the JJ reddick school of running to the right, while he shoots he doesn't is not really much as much less comfortable moving left, but he can like they'll have him run off pin downs run floppy action for him just to. Get him curling up for threes, and he's really good at that. And then defensively, just very switchable, like six eleven wingspan. Keeps his hands up. I'll trust the scheme of his team a lot, and like, just a guy who I like. Because the thing is, is, you were right about like need the Sixers needing off the dribble shot creation, obviously. But like, you realize what isn't ra- left around twenty eight very much is off the dribble shot creators. Because a lot of
2: teams want them. You know, like
1: that's a very hard
2: thing to ask for at twenty eight. Yeah, and. You know, floor of course, and floor spacers are also very valuable. And if you have a guy that can also do some uh, of that DHO work, you know, as alongside Embiid, which we saw him and Seth be so successful at, and th- and that was kind of the main engine of the offense in in the postseason uh, for Philadelphia, um, and even just hitting shots off of Embiid post ups and the ability to move off the ball and and still hit those shots that's that's all incredibly valuable so yeah you're right there you're you're really not going to get a perfect prospect Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination at 28 so you you just look for guys who have a true nba skill and yeah him having that 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 ability to shoot off movement is something that'll play anywhere for sure Yeah,
1: I was always like, I I brought up on the pod before, I was always worried about with the bench lineups, which a lot of things, but like it was basically Dwight Howard and four guys six, five and under, and they were really missing like the Mike Scott role because Mike basically became not playable anymore, he's just like stopped hitting shots and really wasn't playing well on defense, like they just were lacking that kind of like stretch four option off the bench, and Edwards could basically slot in as that perfectly, which is not the Sixers' biggest need, the biggest need is like an advantage creator and a shot a shot maker off the dribble but just that's gonna be so hard to find at 28 mate you might be better like addressing that need with addressing the need of like that stretch four off the bench with a guy like Kessler Edwards at 28 and then maybe maybe through a Benson's his trade trying to find a solution for that other problem because so that might be a little more realistic and I I think that might be the strategy I would go with and just I just like so much what he can do shooting off a movement it's just such a an important skill he's I just really trust what he's going to be in. He's about twenty-two years old now, so he's not like a, I mean, like the idea of low, low ceiling, high floor guys is a little overplayed. But he kind of does like, he can strike you as that in terms of just like, I'm pretty sure he'll be able to shoot it at the NBA level, and it'll be defensively, pretty solid at the NBA level. Um, his weaknesses being that like, like obviously he's much more of a low usage shooter. He's not really as much of an off the dribble attacker, even though he can attack closeouts off the dribble. Um, he is not very strong in his upper body, or is like, he he needs to put on some strength. Like he's, I think, what is it? Uh, At six, eight, only 203 pounds, like kind of pretty skinny. He can get pushed around a little bit sometimes, even though he does fight for positioning and stuff like that. He's not like, he's just not a super muscly guy. And then the main thing is that, and this is something that shouldn't be a problem, but people will take his problem, is that his shot is kind of funky. He, lean because he has like this weird weight distribution with a high center of gravity, He's leaning over, like he leans forward when he shoots. And then he like kicks his legs and kind of like, it's like a really weird kick of his legs when he flails up, kind of. And he he jumps really high in the air when he shoots it. It just it looks not visually appealing. But again, for three years, he's taken three hundred and seventy four three point attempts and he shot thirty nine percent on them. And they, these are not just standstill, wide open catch and shoots. He's the best shooter on his team. And he's shooting off movement. So, I mean. That's pretty good. It's like you can if you can keep that level that percentage up on those kind of attempts. I, I mean, I don't care really how you should if you keep making it.
2: Yeah, Sixers fans might have some PTSD with uh Markel Fultz shooting motions if uh they've had their their share of non-fluid releases in in, in recent years. So but yeah, that's I mean there's non there's non there's like not visually appealing, and then there's like Markel's was
1: literally not functional for a bit.
2: Yeah course there's a big difference between uh style and substance um when it comes to jumpers and as as if they're hitting them that's all that really matters um yeah your your point about them needing that stretch four off the bench is is well taken like that's that's why doc was kind of settled on the the toby and bench lineups because Mm -hmm. then toby could kind of function in that stretch four off the bench role uh while he was anchoring that bench group um and then ben Ben had the ability to shift to the four when Toby took an early exit and they brought a guard in off the bench. Um so and they could down they could afford to downsize in the starting lineup because you know, Ben was a six ten point guard. Um, but yeah, that that would kind of alleviate that issue and and that would allow allow Doc a little more flexibility with how he wanted to configure his his substitutions and stuff, and and he wouldn't be as locked in with Toby with that second group. Um those minutes so yeah that'd be an interesting thing uh certainly that is an another area that the team needs to upgrade um we saw you know you know scott not that scott was playable but we saw he he kind of posted his his farewell post on social media yeah he's He's not coming back yeah there's there's zero chance he's coming back so we we do know they will definitely be in the market for a uh a stretch for reserve so whether that will come in the draft or whether that'll come via free agency. You know, they have a couple exceptions they can use. They have the Al Horford uh, trade exception in the mid-level or, or maybe they decide that that could be Paul Reed. Um, You know, we will see, but uh, yeah, Kessler Edwards, definitely a guy to keep on your radar. Um, Paul
1: Reed Reed does not have a role. He is only, he is a Paul Reed. (laughs) You, You let, you let Paul do whatever he wants. If he wants to like be a point guard, you let him try it. Like, let Paul be Paul.
2: Yeah, just just let him uh get the offense out the mud when whenever he's on the court. Um all right. So besides Edwards, is there is there anybody else you wanted to note at, at 28?
1: I'll talk about some of these guys. So, like if you're talking about then like not going for those stretch four options, like one thing you could do is like I'm trying to think of off the dribble shot makers who at least in some sense of the word who could be available there. Um Two guys, like, that strike me are uh, Bones Highland. Uh, his name's Nashawn Highland, but uh, everyone calls him Bones. Actually, These are probably the two best nicknames in the draft. And then there's Miles McBride out of West Virginia, who his he's called Deuce McBride. So, I mean, first of all, like, in terms of coolness and names, I, having Bones Highland or Deuce McBride on your team <laughs> is just,
2: like, the vibes go up by a lot. Yeah, especially with Deuce Daly um, moving on in, in the Eagles. Uh Sphere of influence uh, we need another deuce in our lives so. yeah
1: yeah and like I would say that Bones Highland shouldn't be there at 28 but he definitely I think could be like in theory i'd be definitely a little excited the Sixers taking. Uh, he is now there's a concern of the Sixers taking guys who are a little bit shorter after taking Tyrese Maxey last year like just and having Seth Curry in the backcourt you know just it's a very small backcourt and we saw like with those bench lamps too. like or playing a guy like George Hill alongside Seth Curry, like it's just hard to get away with that lack of height overall throughout the lineup sometimes, but Bones Highland, like he's a ridiculously good shooter. Now he only shot 37% three from last year, but he takes the toughest threes of anyone in the class. Like as someone, as other people describe, like he takes double step backs and he can hit them. He is very much like just, I'm going to shoot a lot of threes. I know I'm this good of a shooter. And he just, he had some really tough shots, like if you watch, watch him play, just unbelievably tough. And then also as a, let's see right here, um, a 6-9 wingspan at 6-3, and he racks up a lot of steals at a 3.3% steal rate. And like very much, he's a little bit of a gambler on defense, but like, it's just like, as we've seen with Matisse Theibel, that does have some value just like causing havoc with long arms and being willing to go for stuff. So if you're looking to like this thing that you want to try and address again, the Sixers need for some. Off the dribble shot making like he's not as much an advantage creator like i don't think he gets downhill to the rim a ton although he had some like he didn't have horrible rim numbers but like got there a decent bit but he needs to but probably not like his thing in NBA is gonna be like you know getting his way to the rim which the sixers could use at times but he can really hit some tough shots it's just interesting to think like what he could do from there uh one concern though he is so he's like at six three he is 169 pounds so very skinny (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um you know if i have a higher body mass index than him that's a little bit concerning
2: yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah i I feel like i could body him in the post so that's that's not but the thing really is, six for. nine 6'9 he'll block your shot that's true so um all right so some some interesting other options for the six of oh, 28 did you want me to then touch
1: on deuce or yeah
2: yeah yeah go
1: for it so deuce mcbride i think is like he took a lot of shots at West Virginia last year. Uh, did shoot 41% from three, uh, although he did shoot 30% from three as a freshman. So a little, you know, get a, if it's that big of a jump, you get a little worried about it. Um, just took, he would isolate a lot. And the thing is he's, so he is only, I think, measured only about six, two and a half in shoes, but he looks way bigger when you're watching them because he does have a six, nine wingspan as well. Very long arms. Um, And he was a guy who used to play football, which, you know, Gets over his bit, but he's very physical out there. Yeah, like so compared to the hit. We just said Bones Highlands at six three is a uh, hundred and sixty-nine pounds. At six two, basically, uh, Deuce McBride is 195 pounds. So very different body types. Um, and just like a very athletic dude with a not broken shot, with like not automatic shot, but not broken, he can get a lot of off-the-dribble shots and then defensively, he's really good like at the point of attack for the most part just super aggressive and physical and like can really bother teams but not i don't and like has some passing chops probably needs to work on it just like usually if you're taking guys through the cell on them at this point it's like off the dribble shot creation it's not a great idea especially if they're smaller guards because you need to be so good at the nba to justify those looks and most of the guys here are a little less efficient and they're just not going to be able to make it in the nba but As a guy who can probably survive on defense, like Deuce McBride can then like has some potential for that. Like that's a little bit interesting. I know some people really like him for the Sixers. Uh I need to do some more work on him, but like I I'm I think there's some interest in a guy like Deuce.
2: Okay. Was was there any like difference in his shot from year one to year two? Like did he make any adjustments or
1: I wouldn't try something would different to, or I would need to go back and check on that. From what I remember he, I think he gets really good elevation on his shot, like on his pull-ups. Cause again, like really good athlete for
2: the most part. All right. So interesting name and interesting prospect for Sixers fans to keep an eye on as the draft approaches. All right. So moving on from 28 um, they also have the 50th pick, you know, obviously that's usually a, a full crapshoot when you're down to that part of the draft, but there are any, any like overseas stash guys you particularly like that teams might think about there or any l- late second round prospects you have an eye on?
1: Well, not necessarily overseas, but one guy I wanted to touch on who I started looking at yesterday. Um, and my guy on Twitter, uh, at Ben Thrifty uh, is kind of like kind of keyed me in on him is Sam Hauser out of Virginia, who at six, eight, like, um, and not like a particularly explosive athlete, like hasn't got a ton of NBA hype, but like, he so he was at Marquette for three years and then transferred to Virginia. He shot f- about forty four percent on seven hundred and four three point attempts over four college seasons and was again like around forty two percent this past year. And while he's not much of a he's not like a superb off the dribble creator or like someone you get a lot of ball screens for, he can shoot off the dribble and off of movement. And like just the dude can really shoot it. Basically like that. If you're looking for someone at fifty with like you said an MBA skill, he is definitely an MBA level shooter. And you can, I think, like, what he can do is you can't get away with putting someone who is not equipped to guard him on him because, like, two games I look in particular when he played against Louisville, they, like, didn't have the size to guard him. He was just shooting over them all the time. And like Duke tried to put Matthew Hurt on him as a bigger guy, like a probably an NBA center at the level, just way too slow, and he would either blow by him or hit him with, like, step backs and fadeaways where he's too slow to contest. So that's pretty useful in terms of just, like, a guy – Like, if you can get a guy who might have a chance to play in your rotation just for his shot making at some level, even though, like, defensively, I think he's going to definitely probably be a below average defender. Had had some, like, good moments in the scheme and, like, is pretty strong to handle guys inside, but just really, like, not quick twitch at all, like, at the point of attack. And then we'll probably get driven on sometimes and have people set ball screens with his man to get him in those kind of situations. But just a guy who I think can get on the floor for you as a shooter could have some value.
2: Okay, yeah. Um I you know, of course the concern with those type of guys is that while they have some utility down the road if they can't hang defensively, they're they're not really valuable in a postseason setting because you get into those as you advance in the postseason, they just hunt those kind of players out. Um so even somebody as an elite offensively as, you know, Reddick was years back for us, um once they we faced a team like Boston who had multiple ball handlers who you could switch and hunt the mismatch on him. Uh, the, it just wasn't a viable situation. And we saw it a, a little bit with uh, Seth in, in the yeah. most recent loss where Atlanta had Trey plus the Wings who could all attack off the dribble. And Seth had to be out there because he was carrying the offense, but they just went at him with, with Herder. And yeah, uh, one, one,
1: I mean, like, he's definitely like, well, first of all, I would doubt Sam Hazard ever gets to the point where he needs to carry Victor's <laughs> offense. But no, I'm just,
2: I'm just pointing it, out like that, it, that archetype.
1: And and he is yeah. also though, he is 6'8 in shoes. So it is like, just in theory, and since he's not like a, going to be playing a center role and like, well, not great at defending screens, I think not like an absolute disaster. Basically, size insulates you from getting attacked on defense sometimes, unless you're <laughs> Unless you're like a slow footed center like Ennis Cantor who's just like they're going to pick and roll you to death. Like as long as you can just not get mashed inside or have a guy like Kevin Herter shoot over you, that six just being six eight really helps. Uh probably yeah. honestly the biggest defensive wing we can say he only has a six nine wingspan at six eight. So like if guys do like get an advantage of him, if he's near, he doesn't really affect shots that much if he's near them. Like he's just
2: not his contests, like do not seem to bother guys that much. All right. fair enough um yeah it's the size does help you, you can maybe stick him on on a taller guy and just hope that he can he can hang if they try to body him up in the post yeah like i bit. think
1: he i think he's fine if he's defending another team's bench four which is probably what his role could be gotcha all
2: right yeah. so that would, that would be like another maybe like yeah. backup four option for the sixers
1: it, i'm not yeah. exactly sure what position he plays or how you it depends on who you have random like I think in theory, say they took Kessler Edwards at twenty-eight and Sam Hauser at fifty. Like, I think you because Kessler's so versatile defensively. I think you could play those guys together because you need Kessler to guard like a three. He can do it. Um, so like, it, it's all like dependent on fit. Uh, what actually? All since I've been rambling a lot, I haven't got to look at this guy in a while. And I've, since you've probably seen him through Villanova, um, what what do you think about Jeremiah Robinson Earl as a sixer?
2: <laughs> we got to bring it up. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Uh... Obviously, you can't go wrong with Villanova prospects. We we talked about Bridges a ton. You can
1: only go wrong if you
2: trade them. You can only go wrong if you don't keep them on your team. Um, you know, Jalen Brunson, a guy recently who's had a lot of success as a, I mean, as a leader draft or, pick. Or like, ask the Bucks how much they miss Dante Divincenzo right now. Yeah, just a perfectly, like, switchable guy who can pretty much slot into whatever role you need him to offensively as well. Like that, you know, Josh Hart uh, has played a, a, a similar function at the NBA level. Like uh, now one of the better rebounding guards in all the NBA he, right now.
1: He's, he's a monster rebounder, just like super physical. Like he's a guy who, he, he plays bigger than
2: his size. Absolutely. So like Jay Wright just note like his system just lends itself perfectly to these guys becoming right away very successful NBA role players, and I I think Robinson Earl would be the next in that in that long story line of contributors. Um, you know, size wise, you would you would want him to be a, a like a stretch for whether his his three point shot is viable at the NBA level is is probably my main concern. He only shot around 30% for his career at Villanova. Oh, well, I actually, I want to look, okay, keep talking. I'm going to look sign up real quick, to keep going. He, you know, you would want, there's always the concern about it's like, it's a farther shot at the pro level. And the fact that he didn't have a ton of success as an outside shooter, that would be a tad worrisome, but he's a, an amazing player in all other aspects of his game. He, tenacious rebounder really smart and makes the like has a good court vision when he has the ball in his hands for a guy his size who's you know not a, a primary ball handler per se but makes some good feeds and like the high the low action um just strong defender like you if he got switched onto like the the opposing team center he, he's not a guy that i think would like really get bullied down there he would be able to hold his ground well enough on a on a any given particular possession. Um, and he's a, you know, he's a good free throw shooter. So that wouldn't be a concern. Um, does just does a lot of re- like a lot of things above average, just one of those Villanova prospects that doesn't have a, a big hole in his game. I, I, I guess just the, the key skill that will kind of determine whether he's a longtime bench player or like a, like a rotation guy on on like the level of like a Bridges who could step in and on like a contender eventually be like a like the fifth best player on a contender maybe I guess it's just whether his shot if he can go on to make 35% from three at the NBA level so we didn't quite see that at Villanova so I, I feel like that's why he's not getting a ton of shine because everything else he does he does really well.
1: Well he's definitely gonna get picked. And um, what I was looking up there is like you said around like he's 28% on threes this last year. Um on like non-rim twos per Bartorovic, he was around 40% on like pretty good volume, which not great, but it also shows like he's like any he, like he was 71% on free throws, but like 81% as a freshman. Um so I think like yeah, like he's not a sniper, but he seems willing to shoot and oh yeah, and the shot you know, looks like, good. Yeah, so. like if it's if the shot looks good, he's willing to shoot. And it's like not broken. I think you can still get closeouts from NBA teams, which is just like enough to like not hamper a team's spacing, which is pretty good. And then I know the sell from for most people is like just he's very switchable on defense, like you said. And I think that's just like basically the idea of like a three and D when you can play out there, who's probably going to be pretty solid for you, help you out a bit. Um, just that idea is pretty good. Uh, what do you think about like just switch defenders in general, given the Sixers? Are probably one of the least switchy teams in the NBA in terms of like, there's not that they don't have guys who can't switch, but it's just like they much prefer
2: play drop coverage, funnel everything to Embiid. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a function of Joel, obviously. I just and Joel can switch
1: because like we've seen it before. Like he can do it if he needs to. It's just it feels yeah. weird, like you ask ask him not to like time so out. And plus, again, I think it's something. You know, honestly, now that I think about it, it could be something that. You know how the Bucs this whole year, like the regular season, all we kept hearing is they were going to be a little worse defensively. because they're finally experimenting, switching a lot after only playing drop. Maybe the Sixers try and do that more this next season after like, oh, our drop coverage is so good because Embiid's a monster and every we have these great rear view contesters and like it's so hard to shoot over. him. maybe next year we see more of trying to switch or try playing different defenses just to like have another curveball to throw at teams come playoff time. Because it could – I mean, that's one of the things that killed the Sixers it felt like they were a little bit like – we have our one way of play and it's really good. But if a playoff team that's also very good finds a solution to that, we don't have a ton of adjustments after
2: it. For sure. Yeah. And the, the issue is always going to be like Embiid's asked to do so much offensively and he, he has the injury concerns. Like you don't want to ask him to also be doing too much as far as like chasing guys around on the perimeter defensively. Uh, and plus you need him around the rim for, as good as he is down there uh, at dissuading shot makers in the paint, and you know, picking up the slack for for guys if they happen to get beat off the dribble, like you want him there. And also, it just helps him save a little bit of energy because he's expending it in so many other areas. Um, but yeah, they they do need to have a little bit more of a switchable scheme. Um, maybe they can go to that as you know we we talk about we can talk about like down the road who who they're going to bring in as a as a backup for MB next year with with Dwight uh, you know being a free agent what whether you know they could bring him back but i think we we've discussed how they definitely need a true stretch 5 option so maybe they if they bring in a, a stretch 5 who could fit more of a switchable mold they could they could go to like this bench unit where you have all guys be switchable and that could be just the, the identity of the the bench group
1: there's not like there's not a ton of bench switchable
2: stretch fives out there, you know. Like, <laughs> but you know they just play small. Like you saw in these playoffs, like Brooklyn's used Jeff Green as a as a five, and yeah. the Clippers use Nick Batum. Like maybe you could just go to something like that if it's against an opponent who doesn't have like a masher. That could really hurt you on the interior. You, like you can get away with having like a, a six-nine guy be your your backup five and just like switch everything and and see see where that goes.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely an interesting thought, but I think just yeah, in general, like the point is touching on there, just getting more versatile, getting these more of these tall wing types You can also shoot a little bit, even though it's kind of hard to find. Like I think you could do that, and I know there's a lot of like interesting wing options here in the NBA draft. So, it was kind of sad to see one guy had been I had done some scouting on and he like pulled his name out. Like Terrence Shannon Jr. out of Texas Tech withdrew his name from the draft. Um I was pretty excited for him. But uh yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today.
2: Uh Sean, any last things you want to say? Uh get well soon, Dario. And just everyone keep in mind with the bridges stuff. If the Sixers had held on to him, there's a good chance that either his shot would have completely collapsed. And he would not even know how to shoot the ball from 20 plus feet, or he would have um, had like a debilitating illness slash injury. And just if be happy that he has gone somewhere where he had success and he got to avoid the Sixers curse. He's
1: like, it's like an, it's like your favorite pet that you set it free. It's more, it's let it be free in the wild
2: where it belongs. Or, or you found a really good home for him. Like yes. you, you moved somewhere where they didn't allow dogs and you had like, you, you really want to adopt this puppy, but you found a great home for him and you see pictures on social media and he looks really happy and you, you can just be <laughs> happy that has, he has a great life. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise. um, Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy the finals. Um, We'll be back next week to talk, uh, about we'll talk, the Sixers' we'll off season. About, yeah, we'll talk about something. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have something up our sleeves. Um, the, the the news just came out that there won't be fans at the Olympics due to their uh, security precautions around COVID right now. So, Olympic basketball will not have fans, but as of now, it'll still uh, be going on. So, we'll be talking about that later this month. So mm-hmm. that's something to look forward to. Definitely. And
1: uh, thank you all for listening today. Please like subscribe to the show if you. If you have the time, uh, leave us a review. If you feel like it raining, all that good stuff always means a lot to us. And Sean, I will talk to you next week.
2: All right. Take care, everyone. Bye.